today, happy Father's Day. And when we say that in our church, we're not talking about just biological dads. We're talking about all sorts of dads, partly because I'm not a biological dad. So we want to celebrate adoptive, foster dads, uh, father figures, spiritual dads, godfathers, grandfathers, uh, uh, whatever father um, that you have. We want to celebrate you because the impact of male role models who cares and is involved in the lives of someone cannot be overstated. This is just such an important thing. Now, recently I heard about a study that was done in the U.S. a number of years ago, and it was actually uh, commissioned um, or set up by uh, the parliament or whatever they call it there. I don't think they call parliament in America, do they? Senate, whatever. And um, so this senator, he, he went into, uh, he was going to look into crime and violence in this particular neighborhood that was not doing well. It was a really quite, it is the Armadale of America. <laughs> I did not say that, but it probably is, you know, it was one of those places. Armadaleans, we love you, but you probably don't know where Big Park is anyway. So Anyway, so... Um, I'm not very politically correct, but I'm a dad and I'm allowed to have a bit of fun today, guys. Anyway, he was commissioned to look into this um, uh, particular uh, neighborhood. And people were honestly quite worried about the report because they thought that the report was probably going to have perhaps racist overtones, if you know what America is like. Um, And so people were quite worried about what he was going to say, but they were all shocked at the number one reason that he found why crime and violence was being perpetrated in this community uh, was linked to fatherlessness. There was a great percentage of the people in that neighborhood who did not have dads, and that seemed to relate, well, uh, the stats, the, the figures related to the crime rates that he found. It wasn't so much the race, it wasn't so much the amount of money, it wasn't about all of these different things, it was whether a dad was present or not. And this is what he, uh, uh, the researcher I was listening to who was talking about this case, uh, said that the percentage of fatherlessness in that neighborhood has now become um, the, the ratio of fatherlessness in all of America. And he says that America is in a tipping point is in a dangerous place because of this fatherlessness. He talked about how there's all these school shootings and where there is enough details about the school shooters, the number one thing that is found about it is fatherlessness. They do not have dads. They do not have families that are working well. And so when I say this, I'm not trying to say that um, if you don't have a dad, that means that you're stuffed because we know that not everyone who doesn't have a dad turns out to be a school shooter. That is not the case. And, and, and so that's not what I'm trying to say. But what I'm trying to say is that we need to look at this and we need to look at the role of fathers and we need to celebrate, honor, lift up the profile of dads because sometimes dads don't know what they're doing. Sometimes mums don't know what they're doing, but mums have a way of talking to each other. We have a mum chat in our church and it doesn't stop going. (laughs) We have a dad chat. It's hard to get anyone going because dads are like, I need to figure this out. If not, I'm not a dad. It's like, shut up. That's being dumb. Anyway, what I'm talking about is that as a church, we need to celebrate fatherhood. 
And one of the things that this researcher said that I loved, I don't think he's Christian, but he said that because there were a number of people that were calling up to this podcast and he said, well, what do I do? I'm a single mum. How do I do this? He said, well, one of the best things you can do is to find a faith community and there's going to be a bunch of guys over there. Ask one of those guys to be present in the child's life. This is a researcher. Say a male role model who might not be biological, and sometimes we know biological dads aren't that great, or something happens and they're not there. That doesn't mean that you are stuffed. It just means that you're going to have to find an alternative route. And I love that the Bible tells us that God places the lonely, the widows, in family. You know, He provides family for the fatherless, and He Himself promotes Himself, He displays, He reveals Himself as a father. So the faith community should celebrate fatherhood. It shouldn't, we shouldn't downplay fatherhood. We shouldn't laugh at fatherhood. We should actually celebrate and honor fathers so that we learn how to do this. I love that in our nation, as a movement in the ACC, we're trying to promote women in leadership. And what we do there is that we celebrate women in leadership because when we celebrate and honor women in leadership, more women enter into leadership. So maybe if we celebrate fatherhood, if we honor fatherhood, more men will step up into being fathers and to work as fathers. Now, Australia isn't in the same place as America, but somehow we tend to follow some of the trends over there. Uh, just to let you know, just so that we can have a context here, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, we have 7.3 million families in our nation altogether. And one out of every seven of them, or about 15%, is a single-parent family. All right? So that's uh, one out of seven. That is over a million families are single-parent families. And out of those, 80% are single mums. That means right now there are 800,000 children, 800,000 families, sometimes multiple kids, who are growing up without a dad. One of the crazy things that I, didn't, I thought didn't really fit the, the stats or what's going on is that that percentage is staying the same. Since 2000 to 2022, the percentage is the same, but our nation is growing, which means there are more people that are experiencing um, uh, um, fatherlessness. So I'm not saying that single family, single parent families will fail, but I think as a church, we need to honor and celebrate fatherhood. Eight out of 10 single parent families are without a dad, and we have some of those families in our church. So do we know that this is something that we need, we need to step into? When we see someone without a dad, that should break our heart because it breaks God's heart. This is something that's so important. But today I want to talk about, so when we kind of talk about dads and our roles, what does it look like? And today specifically, I want to look at um, one passage and pull out three things that I think dads need to know. And um, it comes from Numbers chapter 30, verses 3 to 5. And um, trust me, it's going to sound a little bit strange, but you follow along and it's going to make a lot of sense. 
So let's read Numbers chapter 30, verses 3 to 5. It says, If a woman vows a vow to the Lord and binds herself by a pledge while within her father's house in her youth, and her father hears of her vow and of her pledge by which she has bound herself and says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand, and every pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father opposes her on the day that he hears of it, no vow of hers, no pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. And the Lord will forgive her, because her father opposed her. What a great passage. <laughs> I called his message, her father opposed her. <laughs> um, let's just pray, hey? Holy Spirit, I pray that as we talk about fatherhood this morning, that number one, that we are looking to you, we are seeing how you are at work in our lives, how you are our Heavenly Father. And God, I pray that through that, you'll see your heart for fathers in the faith, fathers in this house to be raised up, to be strong, to be present, and to be doing the work that you have called us to. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you speak to us. And Holy Spirit, I pray for those that um, might not have experienced fatherhood as I'm going to describe, and I pray that they will realize that they have not lost out on something that is irrecoverable, but God, that this is an opportunity for them to step into relationships that you have placed in our lives to bring about the maturity and the goodness that you have spoken of. I pray that, God, that this would be a message of comfort rather than of condemnation. I pray that this would be an inspiration rather than uh, a depression that will set into our hearts because of this. And I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so Numbers chapter 30. Now, this passage that we've been reading is part of a larger uh, a passage, a larger text where God is speaking specifically to the Israelites. And so I'm not saying that we need to follow exactly what is being said there because this is specifically about um, Israel at that time. Uh, but there's something in here that's really quite fascinating to me. And so this is a passage where the Israelites were about to enter into the promised land. And so God wanted to give them uh, more instructions. And so once they got to a place called Mount Sinai, all the way till they got to the promised land, God was instructing them as they hit up certain things about what they needed to do when they entered into the promised land. And so this particular block of scripture was specifically about offerings to God, the different offerings uh, that Israel were to bring to God. And how it links to the passage that we just read is that um, when you have a vow or a pledge, it often would include and offering along with it. And so this is something that was cultural back then. If you're going to make a vow, you kind of seal it or you finish it with an offering to God. And I think that's a beautiful thing because you're saying that God at the end of the day is the one that hears all of our vows and our pledges. He's the one that really we are uh, uh, living for. And so interestingly, when you look at the words vows and pledges, it's kind of like, what's the difference between these, right? So uh, uh, one theologian says that the difference between these is that a vow, it tends to be a promise of something that you are actively going to do. So basically, if I vow to give you my shirt, that act of giving is, a, is, 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 a, is an action that I will do. Yes, that's a vow. However, if I pledge something, it tended to be that I'm pledging not to do something. So if I pledge not to give you my shirt, that's a pledge. The vow is that I give, the pledge is that I hold on to it. I'm not going to do something. 
okay? And so when you take vows and pledges together, what is it saying? It's talking about the things that you do and the things that you don't do. It's about your decisions. It's about your life. You, this, these are the things that I promise to do. These are the things that I am going to actively pursue, and these are the things that I'm actively going to abstain from. I'm going to stay away from. These are what the vows and the pledges are about. And I think that's where it's really beautiful that when you make vows and pledges, you're actually doing it to the Lord with an offering. Sandy spoke about when you do this, do it to the Lord. When you do that, do it to the Lord, right? In ancient Israel, a big part of that is that when they made a promise to do something or not to do something, it came with an offering. They would actually bring it to God, and they would actually see it as something that they're doing to God. So that's the context. That's why we have this passage. And so this passage, though, when we look at it, if you can put it on, Anthony, it looks a little bit sexist. Who got those sexist overtones? Anyone here? Older women in the room? Are you guys also oppressed that you can't say yes to that? We see it in context. <laughs> well, I read it and I was a bit like, whoa. <laughs> I saw this and I was like, okay, we're going to need to make sure that we talk about this whole sexism issue. Now, one of the things that is um, really quite beautiful about this passage is that it actually says that women can make vows. That is actually not seen in any of the cultures, and when you consider that Israel at that time was a slave nation that came out from Egypt, if you read anything from Egypt, women don't make vows. Women are not allowed to make vows. It's not even covered in the law because women are not allowed to do anything. They're not allowed to promise to do anything or promise not to do anything because they do not have a choice. That is what it's like. But God sets up for his people that women are allowed to make vows under certain conditions. Now, with this particular passage, I just want to make a couple of points here. Um, that when it talks about the women and their youth, it means kids. And, it, and, and most theologians would agree that this is not just for the women, but also for the boys. So for the girls and the boys, for the kids that are under their father's house, this is talking about an authority structure. And so what we need to understand is uh, the authority structure in the family system in Israel, which is dad is leader, and so kids are under the leader. So if a son were to make a vow or pledge, this would also happen. Now, because we're talking about kids here, when a kid makes a vow or a pledge, and there's an associated offering with it, who's paying for it? When you think about that, they don't own anything because they're kids. And so it's like, God, I promise to do this and I will sacrifice a cow to you. Dad, can I have a cow? It's dad. Dad pays for the vows. Isn't that a picture of what life is like right now? Kids make decisions. Parents pay the cost. I want that shoe. No, that shoe particularly. Who's paying for the shoes? Dad is. It is not a decision that doesn't impact dad. Dad necessarily is impacted by the decisions that kids make. And so this is a protection for dads. <laughs> it's to make sure that dads don't go bankrupt from... Girls and boys that decide to make frivolous vows to every person under the sun. So this is really important. This is the family unit 
And God is talking about how uh, it's supposed to work. And so with that in mind, as I looked at this passage, there are three things that I want to point out about dads. And the first is this, dads have authority. Dads have authority. Our culture today seems to forget that there are parents that are older, wiser, more experienced, more knowledgeable, that should have the ability to practice authority over their kids. Agree? When my child wants to make certain decisions about the food that he eats, which is something that he wants to do every day, older, wiser dad knows that having crackers for morning, snack time, lunch, snack time, and dinner is probably going to lead to a constipated boy. <laughs> and so what does dad do? Dad exercises authority, and mum can too, and say, no, Sam, I don't have to, I want to call him a silly name, but no. No, we're not having crackers for morning, dinner, lunch. He calls every meal at the moment dinner, by the way. He comes out of his room in the morning, dinner! It's like, breakfast. <laughs> we haven't even got to breakfast and he's at dinner. But this is what uh, this passage says. If a woman vows a vow to the Lord and binds herself by a pledge while within her father's house. While within her father's house. Dads, we need to know where our house is. We need to know what our house looks like. And the exercise of authority doesn't have to be coercive. It doesn't have to be me taking something away from you. The exercise of authority can be benevolent. And I believe that the Bible tells us that the exercise of authority should always be benevolent. In fact, in Ephesians, it tells us um, that all of us should submit to each other, including parents to children. It doesn't mean that I allow my kids to make any choice that I, they want to make, but rather that in submission to them, I am trying to serve them for their greater good, which means sometimes taking away a choice or saying no to certain choices that are Making. One of the things that I learned about fatherhood recently as I was listening, uh, uh, studying for this, is that dads are great and should be great at setting parameters. The exercise of authority is often the exercise of setting parameters for a person's life. Dads need to be involved to help a child see this is the safe area where you play in. Dads that don't understand this or don't exercise their authority well are likely to make the house a little bit too small or make the house too big. And this is what the researcher was talking about. Mums, on the other hand, are fantastic at nurturing and recognizing the skills and the abilities and the personality of the child. Dads can do that too, but mums have a super intuition. They are wired for this relationship, generally speaking. I'm talking in stereotypes, but mums see and they nurture. And I recognize this in Beck and myself. Sometimes it feels like Sam is not developing or growing at all to me. And then I will mention that. And then I will say, hey, Beck, do we need to do something? And then Beck was like, no, 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 no. He's doing this, 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 this. And then this is how I'm helping him to do that. And this is how you can help him to do that. And I'm like, oh. 
But you know what I'm good at is the big picture, is the parameters of the life of my child. And so what we need to understand is that I'm not valuing fatherhood at the expense of motherhood, is that we need to value both so that we can work together, so we can nurture within the space and also know what the space looks like. Dads, we need to know how to give parameters over our child's life. Let's look at this. What was it specifically that the dad had authority over? He had authority over whether a child's vows or pledges stand. Today, what does that mean for us today? I believe that it means that dads need to understand what a child is saying that they're going to do or is saying that they're not going to do. I get to annul whatever they say that they're going to do or not going to do. I can say, no, this is how we do it. That is how we set parameters. This is how our family works. This is what it's like in this house, Sam. You want to go to do this? You have to pack this away first. You want to watch TV? You get this amount of time for TV. We are setting parameters so that the child is able to grow. When we were preparing for Sam and we were studying a little bit more about parenting, there was this concept that I thought was brilliant and I tried to think about it and they talk about Parenting in the funnel, in the funnel. And what it talks about is that when a child is first uh, developing, they, when they, when the, and there's a funnel of behaviors that they can do. When they are living and behaving outside the funnel, everyone is stressed out. When Sam is overtired and hungry, he's a little devil. <laughs> he's not fun. You get to see well-fed, hopefully had enough sleep, Samuel. And you think he's a little angel. He has a devil inside of him. <laughs> Every parent knows this. The overtired child is outside of a funnel. And so what we need to do in parenting is to kind of gauge, hang on, is my child's behavior because they can regulate themselves or are they outside of their ability to regulate? And so I need to set parameters and bring the child back into the funnel. Is that damaging the child? Is that being mean to the child? Is that destroying his or her sense of self? No, we are staying in the funnel so that you can regulate yourself so that we all have a better life. <laughs> all have a better life. Dads, when we forget to set parameters, our child is likely to keep pushing the boundaries of where the parameters lie. They don't know how to set parameters for themselves. And that's why we need to have people in our lives to say that's outside of healthy behaviors. That is outside. Now, on the other side, if we are a little bit too cautious and we set the bar too small and say this is a little, we are likely to suffocate our kids. And that is a problem. So dads, we need to be using wisdom, using discernment, coming to the Word of God, getting around other dads and say, where's the parameters? Where, where should the line be? My kid is five years old and is doing this. Is this okay? Is this not? 
Where should the line be? Are they ready for conversations about stuff? Nowadays, one of the things that, that scares me is that literally in four years' time, I'm going to need to have the sex chat with Samuel. Four years! Four years! Zach is going to have to do many conversations <laughs> over the next few years. But that's where our world is at. And I've spoken to other pastors and other leaders and other people who are involved in this sphere, and they're saying, seven to eight years old, man, you better get in there. And I'm like, okay, I need to do this. I've learned a parameter that I need to set for my child because... If I don't do it, no one else will. If I don't, this is my responsibility. And if you don't have a dad, find someone who is willing to take on that responsibility. Find someone who understands that they have authority and is willing to use it. So this brings me to the second point. Silence is a use of authority. Silence is a use of authority. Let's read on in the passage. It says, And her father hears her vow and of her pledge by which she has bound herself and says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand. And every pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. Your silence is a use of authority. Your silence is a use of authority. I and mean, as I was thinking about this, I don't mean this to be condemning in a way that's like, come on, dads, you need to be with your kid all the time so that you hear all that. They say, no, no, I'll go talk about that in a second as well. But what I'm saying is that when you hear of it, when you hear of what is going on and you choose to be silent, you are condoning what your child has promised to do or promised not to do. You are saying that your actions are A-OK -okay with me. And so as, as I was talking about this, the thing that came to my mind is this. Can my child trust my silence? Can my child trust that when my voice is not there, that whatever they are thinking or doing is going to be appropriate. Let me put it in another way. I will not be hovering over Sam for the rest of his life. I don't even like hovering over him right now. But what I'm hoping to do is that there are enough touch points in our life so that he hears the wisdom and he hears the experience and he knows that when he's going to be making a decision and dad's not there, even though I am physically silent, I'm not silent in his life. He hears my voice. He will hear Dad loud and clear in his heart and in his conscience because I have set the parameters in such a way that he understands what is okay and what is not okay. So can Sam trust my silence? Have I put in enough into his life so that if I'm not there and I'm not saying anything, he still has a pathway for his life? Train a child up in the way that they shall go so that when they grow up, they will not deviate from it. It doesn't say train a child up as they go and hitch them to your side so that they will not be able to leave you. No, it says one day you're going to have to let them go. And dad might not be there, but dad's still speaking because dad has done and exercised his authority in a child's life. Your silence is a use 
of your authority. And this is a principle that goes every single relational situation. You have a friend that is doing something bad and you stay silent. You're condoning it. You're a boss and your employee is doing something terrible and you don't say anything about it. You're condoning it. You have a spouse and you don't even say anything about whether you love them or not. Your silence is saying something. Your silence is a way of communication. So dads, one of the things that I've learned is that we need to learn to open our mouths because sometimes we only have limited time that we get to speak into our kids' lives. You know, where I realize that I've got another year and a bit with Sam and then he goes to school, he starts kindy and then from there he goes to primary school, there's going to be a lot more voices in his life and that's necessary. If I'm the only voice in his life, he's going to get really bored of me and I'm going to get really bored of him. It's not going to be the world that God has created us for. And in the midst of all of those voices, have I used my voice enough so that when I'm not present, I'm still speaking, that my silence can be trusted? I love that over time, with my, uh, like how I was parented, is that after a while, my parents stopped telling me how to do things and what to do. So, you know, sir. You know, Sam. <laughs> you know, Nate. We, we told you, we've gone through this before. You know. It's like, come on, just tell me what to do. Like, no, no, it's time for you to learn and to implement those things that we have taught you. That's beautiful. And that shows me that my parents have been involved and they've used their voices to help shape and give me parameters for my life. And finally, the third thing that is so important is that there is a timely use of authority. This is what it says, but if her father opposes her on the day that he hears of it, on the day that he hears of it. So if a dad hears something and doesn't say anything within a 24-hour window, the vow stands. The vow stands. That's what it says. Now, it says that if a father opposes her on the day that he hears of it. So if a child is sneaky and does a vow or a pledge and doesn't tell dad, it, it's not that there's 24 hours from that. In the context of this particular verse, is when dad hears of it, he gets 24 hours to think about it. He gets 24 hours to respond to it. There's a 24 timely window that we as parents have in speaking to our child, in speaking to our children, in helping them understand why their decision is absolutely terrible or their decision is fantastic. We get to feedback to them in that 24-hour window to help them understand the decisions that they're making. I, like, this is... I don't really even need an analogy for this, but if you've already made a decision and someone comes to you five weeks later and says, you know, when you were talking about that decision, I'm not very sure about it. By the time's like, what decision? What conversation? Like some of the conversations that we've had, like me with you, like two weeks later, I'm like, I'm struggling to remember what we spoke about. Our children need that kind of timely use of authority. So children, if you're in this room, and all of us, our kids in some ex to some extent, don't blame your parents for you being sneaky. 
You've not allowed them to respond to you. Because it says, when he hears of it. If your dad doesn't know that you're struggling, he doesn't know that you're struggling. If he doesn't know the decision that you're making, he doesn't know the decision that you're making. When, like Sam's still young, but I've been a youth pastor for a long time, I've been a pastor for a long time, and, and there are people that are like, why didn't you stop me? It's like, because I didn't know. I wasn't there. This is the first time hearing of it. And now that I'm hearing of it, you're being so dumb. Great, let's have this conversation. But as we grow up, especially for you, if you're in this room and you are in a place where you're like, I didn't have a dad and I don't know, you know what? There are other people that can be in that role of a male father figure in your life, but now it's even harder for them to know when you've made vows or pledges. I love that in our church we have this desire to be involved in each other's lives, but I don't get a spy drone that is attached to you and records every decision that you make. I get to see you maybe once, maybe twice, sometimes if you're lucky, three times in a week. And in those three couple of hour moments, I'm supposed to know all that is in your heart? Get real. <laughs> Seriously. You know, I, honestly, it breaks my heart that sometimes people come to me and they say, you know, I've been really struggling and I made this decision. And I'm like, when were you going to talk to me about it? When were you going to talk? You say that you've been struggling for months and this is the first time I've heard of it. When were you going to talk about it? And often by that time, because when you're parenting adults, it's not the same kind of principle. I don't get to be in your life. So when you're struggling and you don't know what decision to make, talk to someone. Guess what? Our culture thinks that that is dumb. I think that our culture is dumb. Our culture tells you that you're supposed to intuit your own self and live out your best. Rubbish! You're struggling. You are having a tension inside of you and you are unable to articulate it. Go talk to someone. You still make the decision. I can't make decisions for you. You'll still make it. But if you don't tell me what's the tension, what's the, dis what's the struggle, what is going on, how am I supposed to, in a timely way, give you a hand? But on the other side, as dads, am I dealing with the fact that sometimes when I hear stuff and it's difficult, I'm dealing with it? Because me using my authority when the event has already taken place and it's a bit too late is a lousy use of authority. Basically, you're there to just say, I told you so. And you're just being smug and annoying. <laughs> but when we, in a timely way, says, hey, I'm hearing this. Let's talk about it. Let's work through this. This is what we can do, age appropriate and all of that kind of stuff. That is a wonderful use of authority. And so today, from this passage, I hope that you see this. Dads, we have authority. That our silence is a use of that authority. And timeliness is an important factor in using our authority. And I do understand that there are people in this room that might not have experienced a dad who understood their authority, who spoke into your life, 
or wasn't there when you really needed them to. And it sucks. It really does. But that doesn't stop there because you're still alive and you still are breathing and you're part of a church community where I think that there are some really great men who understand that they have authority, who are willing to speak into your life and are willing to be there. We just need to invest into that and see that God places the fatherless in family. But this morning as I close, one of the things as I'm thinking about this whole thing, it's like the constancy, the vigilance, the need to continually present and to be there and to deal with sometimes very difficult situations can be and is draining. But rather than see it as draining, I see it as an investment. I've learned to kind of go, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. Well, this is an investment. Nothing that is worth investing in doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> it's going to cost. And so to be constant, to be using my authority, to use my voice, to make sure that I'm present at the right times is difficult. To discern whether I need to be there in this moment is difficult. To be speaking into situations that are murky and, 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 and there's tension and there's conflict is difficult. And so this morning, church, can we, can we hold our dads up? Because this is not about dads being perfect, but this is about dads trying. This is about dads saying, I'm going to give this a go, and I'm going to continue to present myself even if I'm not feeling up for it. I know that I don't get to have days off as a dad. Although Becky and I are going on a holiday this week for two nights, and I don't have to make any decisions about Sam unless it's really urgent. But sometimes it's difficult, and that's why we need to honor dads. And we do honor mums, but they get it in May. It's dads today. So let's honor dads. Let's lift them up. Women, you can help your men out by letting them know how the kids are doing. Help them with the nurturing aspect because us guys don't tend to be that good at that. Help us to know that when we've set a boundary and set the parameters that it's actually so helpful. Help us to know that, that, that we can be involved and that our voices are appreciated and valuable to the development of the child. Help us to know that our authority, that the use of our authority doesn't always have to be in this like really mean, negative way. Help us to know that our authority can be used in fun, playful, happy ways as well. Help us with this. Help us to be the best dads that we can be because that's how families thrive. Fatherless families can and often do struggle. So let's make sure that we are not allowing that to be the norm to take over what is happening in our world. And at the same time, let's also allow Father God to be our authority, to speak into our lives, to be there in a timely way. Let's go to Him when we are struggling, when we are dry, but also when we are celebrating. Let's come to God. Let's come to Father God and let's be able to do that well as well. If we can just get the band up. 
Today, I think we just want to close by praying for dads. And then dads, we also have a little gift for you. But if you have a dad next to you, or if you don't, go find a dad. And why don't we just put our hands and lay our hands on them. Um, Because the Bible tells us that there is an impartation that takes place when we lay on of hands. And let's pray for our dads this morning. That, you know, on this day that you are blessed, that you can do this that you have got an amazing voice that needs to be heard in the lives of other people, including your kids. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've placed us in this world for this very purpose. We thank you that, God, that we have been entrusted to steward and to carry uh, lives, even just for a season sometimes, but to train them up, to give them parameters to give them a sense of confidence that they are able to not just survive, but to thrive, to flourish in their lives. And so God, when when being constant, when being consistent, when being present is difficult, God, I pray, I pray for your Holy Spirit. I pray for your anointing. I pray for your grace. And God, we've heard that when we are weak, you are strong. And so, God, I pray that us as dads, we're not going to be proud and say we need to figure this out by ourselves. But, God, I pray that we will be able to turn to you, ask for help, to be able to do this job, to do this role as well as we can, God. And, God, I pray a prayer blessing over these dads and for the dads that couldn't make it today. I pray, God, for your hand to be upon them. I pray that you are watching them. I pray that they will be refreshed in their spirit and refreshed in their soul. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Awesome. We can get the host team. We've got some little gifts. Dads, I think we know who you are. And so the host teams will come to you with a little gift. Uh, but that's all the time that we've got for our, our gathering today. Dads, you've got some special meat pies and iced coffee uh, waiting for you for morning tea. Everyone else, you're going to get lame, dry, bickies. <laughs> Love you all. And um, we'll hang out in the foyer. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.